Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cyclocross Social Podcast. Today we're going to be discussing the fourth round of the Super Prestige which took place in Boom on the venue of Tomorrowland. I just said we will be discussing the Super Prestige in Boom, but today is a bit of a different episode. I will be discussing the Super Prestige in Boom all by myself as Tom and Isam are both sick and Tom is still unavailable. He is still... Well, taking some time for himself and he will be back later on this Christmas period with a couple of features, but he won't be a regular guest anymore this season. So with Tom and Isam both out ill, I will be discussing the race all by myself. So I hope you all will enjoy my opinions and if you disagree with them, feel free to do so because it's just an opinion in the end. Let's start by talking about the men's race. Kevin Kuhn had the fastest start, but he was quickly overtaken by Thomas Pitcock. Pitcock, who had a decent start, especially for his standards, was fourth into the field and took over very quickly. He led the pack, but he couldn't really establish a gap as Macho van der Poel was right on his wheel. These two riders together, however, managed to break away from the rest and open the gap. But then, as they passed the pit, Macho van der Poel was shouting something to his pit crew and lost focus for the following corner and crashed. He was hurt pretty badly, he had a sharp cut in his knee, blood was going out and the first shots we saw after that were pretty worrying. He was struggling to remount his bike, he was struggling with running, he couldn't put the power on the bike, but eventually things started to improve for him and we'll come back to where he finished in a bit. Pitcock had gone over Macho van der Poel and that meant that his lead that he had established over the rest vanished. He was in a group with Lars van der Haar, Michael van Turenhout and Eli Isebiet, but he quickly dropped them all. Pitcock from there on was in control, he grew his gap to 30 seconds and then he just chilled, stayed in control, it became 20 seconds and then in the final lap he didn't bother too much so he in the end won with 10 seconds. The gap behind or the group behind was a pretty interesting one. Lars van der Haar was facing the Balsauze Bingle duo of Eli Isebiet and Michael van Turenhout. Fantouranaut did a lot of work in the early phases of the race, but ultimately got dropped. Isabid and Van der Haar then made it a two-man battle for the second place on the podium. Van der Haar won that battle. Just after the sandpit, he was quicker in his pedals and opened the gap. He did not lose that anymore and he took the second place ahead of Eli Isabid. Pitcock with the win today. It was a pretty boring race for me. He was in control all the time. He knew that the others wouldn't come back, so... Yeah, it is what it is, but it was a deserved victory for him. He was simply the strongest today. The course in Boom is a very honest course. These shorter climbs than we had in the previous year, because the course had undergone some changes, it's not perfect for Pitcock. The longer climbs, like if he goes into the Koppenberg Cross in top form, that's the race that he can do well. Namur, Gavre, those are more the races for Pitcock. This is already good for him due to the elevation there is, but let's be honest, it's not the best course for him. It's useless, in my opinion, to speculate how he would have done against Macho van der Poel on this course. I mean, yes, we can compare the lap times. Van der Poel, after that crash, managed to, well, put in the fastest lap in some laps. Sometimes he was just slower than Pitcock. But Pitcock wasn't going all out. He was in control. He knew that he didn't have to do everything. Van der Poel, in the meanwhile, he probably still had some hamper from that injury that he sustained from that crash. And... He was in the background. We don't know how many backmarkers he faced. We don't know if he was even going all out because in the interview after the race, he said, well, I lost attention. I lost my focus for the corner because I was still busy telling the people in the pit crew something and then I misjudged the corner. 
To me it looked that in the corner he started pedaling too quickly. As soon as he came on the middle of the corner he put down his power and then he just let his back wheel slip due to that. That's something you can't compensate on slippery cobbles and he went down. A pretty rare mistake especially for a matchup on the pool but those things happen. After that Van der Poel said he continued to just get the stiffness out of his leg which was a wise decision because I think his knee was locked after the crash. When he was trying to remount as a shot we saw he well missed his saddle he couldn't get his knee high enough he couldn't jump it was definitely hurt but he said in the end he felt okay he's going to be starting an underwrap tomorrow and he said he was surprised by how fast his lap times were i can understand that because it looked pretty bad in the beginning but he managed to keep going again so overall a lot less worrying because at the moment of the crash well, we were already getting scared. Ooh, hopefully not another winter without much of on the pool. Hopefully improvement. And, well, it improved. So he can be happy. Or, well, happy. I don't think he will be that happy because you don't want to crash, of course. But it's better than what it initially looked like. And that's the positive he can take. He'll probably be there tomorrow. Although, a bit of a side note on tomorrow's race in Antwerp usually the day after the crash or the two days after the crash those days are the toughest for your body it's the hardest the stiffness starts kicking in but because van der poel is such an athlete that he continues and is re immediately thinking about recovery he will probably have less effect of the, that crash tomorrow than if he would have withdrawn and then sit in his camper van watching the world championship football watching Netherlands play, which we know he follows, then he would have had a lot more issues with that tomorrow in Antwerp. So for now, I would think he will be fine, especially because in the interview he was already super confident that he would be starting and how things improved. He will be there tomorrow. Pitcock tomorrow, well, I don't want to repeat really what we said in the preview podcast. Course is not really something for him. Although, let's, I saw an onboard lap. Let's not over exaggerate and how important the sand will be it doesn't look that decisive tomorrow there's this very long sand passage just before the finish that could be something he struggles in but overall it's not looking to be super decisive there's some small patches they look relatively easy and then there's this super long passage towards the end of the lap and there it's a bit ruined because they have barriers and these barriers, the riders can just drag themselves along these barriers, if the spectators allow that at least. And then it kind of takes away the effect of having a long sand passage there. It really ruins it for me. That's something they should look into changing because, yeah, it's always annoying at least. I find it annoying. Riders, of course, it makes sense. They do it. And if you put a punishment on it, they will probably still do it because they, they are cyclists. They try those things. They try to take the corner as sharp as possible, and if there's the possibility to cut the corner, they will do it, just like racing drivers. But it is what it is. Today, Pitcock was just simply the best, the strongest. Well, of course, you could add, what about Van der Poel? Van der Poel made a mistake, so let's exclude Van der Poel. Out of the riders that finished in the front, Pitcock was the best. So he deserved that victory. Second win of the season. And I saw a stat on Twitter that he was the, I think, only fifth or sixth non-Dutch or Belgian rider to win five classified races and the last one who did that was Davide Bramati in he did it all in one season in 1996 so that's definitely a while ago good to see somebody well 
refreshing that stat for us. Let's look at the battle for a second then. Van der Haar, Isabit and Van Turenhout. Van Turenhout and Isabit both didn't have the best starts. Managed to get into the race again and... Well, the Palsas duo, they were pacing hard throughout the race, mainly for the GC, because Zweig had an even worse start. And I can understand that decision, because you knew Pitcock was gone, you knew you wouldn't be catching him, so was left. Second place and the classification. They went for it, and Van der Haar, he sat in the wheel and he said himself already in the interview, maybe it was not the nicest thing I could have done. Isabit said he was annoyed by that in the post-race interview. I can understand both riders. If you are Van der Haar, why would you ride? There's two riders from one team, they are known for pulling out team tactics, they are already pacing for the classification, why do some work? If you're Iserbeet, I can understand your position. Van Haar is actually the winner out of all of this. Van Haar now is the joint leader of the Super Prestige, he takes away points. Why doesn't Van Haar also pace for his GC? I can understand both riders, their tactics and their frustrations, but overall, I think Isabit also didn't do all too much work. It looked to be Van Turenhout pulling throughout most of the race. And for Isabit, the signs are actually promising. I read an interview this week that he said that his situation with his knee is improving and his back. He said that he, well, rides with power meters in his pedals and that there was a huge disbalance. That his left foot was like seriously, I think it was like 42% power output compared to 58%. And be aware, normally, this should be like, if it's 49.51, it's already a relatively significant disbalance. So, that was a huge disbalance. He said that this is now improving, that he's now at 45.55, which is still super big, 10% difference. It might be exaggerated a little bit, but... Still, it's a big disbalance. Things on his side seem to be improving again. We saw some promising signs last weekend already. This weekend, more improvement on his side. He seems to be getting on the right end of things again. I'm interested to see what he decides after Antwerp. He said that he might skip Dublin and Valdisol to take a bit of rest. At this moment, I doubt it, to be honest. He's still in that World Cup classification. Sure, tomorrow, if it goes terribly, he might lose... 20 points on Sveik. And then you might think, well, I'm not closing 20 points. I'm going to call it a day in the World Cup. Focus on Super Prestige, where he's now back in the classification. Focus on the X2O trophy, which he is leading. Those are the things for Isabi that he would then focus on. But as things stand now, I think he will race Antwerp tomorrow. He will do fine and then race Dublin and Valdisol. So, yeah, that's the situation for Isabi. Things are improving on his end. Let's look at the entire top 10 then. Tom Pitcock with the win ahead of Van der Haar and Isabit. Fourth place for Michael van Turenhout ahead of Laurenswijk, Ryan Kamp and Jens Adam, so he claims seventh. Eighth place for Kevin Kuhn ahead of Jente Michels and the tenth place goes to Niels van der Putten. Michael van Turenhout in fourth place, briefly discussing him. I thought that, well, his race was not disappointing because the course today was maybe a bit too fast for him. But with the elevation, I would have expected him to do a little bit more. However, as said earlier, he did a lot of work for the GC. And that seemed to pay off because, yes, well, in Merckx+, there was this story. Van Turenhout is stealing points for Isabit. Does he believe in his own classification? I don't think the Super Prestige is the classification for Van Turenhout. Things did not go too well so far in the Super Prestige for him. I mean, 
he's definitely up there in the classifications because he is fourth at the moment but already before today he was, his deficit on Sveik was I think six seven points seven points before today that's all in the super prestige because you miss one point his season didn't start too well or a super prestige season in Rudderforde where he only scored 11 points and then if you lose two more points with two third places it already starts ticking up. The Super Prestige is still super close though because Sveika and Van der Haar are equal on points. Izebiet is only three points behind. So Van Turenaut definitely today with a better Izebiet was able to sacrifice his own race and doing some work to keep Sveik behind. And that worked and for Sveik, well after a disappointing start, a fifth place, I think that's not what he had hoped for. But this is also not a course for Laurens Sveik. It's too much elevation he's a big guy he's a big man he has wide shoulders he's muscular it's not something he excels in so yeah fifth place i think he would have wanted a fourth or maybe even a third place but on the other hand his focus is on tomorrow world cup for him is more important than the super prestige and tomorrow let's face it he should be the one coming closest to pitcock van aert and van der poel because the Sandman, yes, Sand does not look to be the decisive factor, but with how Sveik has been handling the Sand this season, whew, even those small sections can make differences. And of course, we don't know how the conditions will be like tomorrow, because there is apparently going to be some frost overnight. That could make the Sand complicated. We'll see tomorrow. Some other names in the top 10. I thought that Ryan Kamp and Jente Michels both had excellent races. Especially Ryan Kamp, a sixth place, is a continuation of his current form because, yes, we know that the talent is there. Two seasons ago, when he was eventually beaten at the under 23 World Championships in Ostend, he was already super good then, getting good results. But now he's really on it. That fifth place in Merksplas, then a decent result in Overijse. Last week, DNF in Hulst, I do not know the reason, but his form has been building. He started off with some of these smaller races, first top 10s in exact cross races, then raced in Spain, Oysterwijk taking wins, just outside of the top 10 in Tabor, Rudervoorde, Namur, and then, well Namur was of course already a showing of his form and potential talent, because he was running super well until he crashed and faded, but now in terms of results it's also coming out, the 8th in Beeksebergen, 5th in Merksplas, and today 6th. Good result for him and for Jente Michels, we can only say the same. Michels was running in 7th at some point, actually just behind Kamp. Faded a bit in the final lap, but I do have to say, this is a good course for Jente Michels. A 23 rider, but excels on climbing courses. He's also doing pretty decent on the mountain bike, I think. So, yeah, that's pretty good for Jente Michels, the young Belgian on the Alps and the Koning team. Kunen Adams. And Van der Putten, all usual suspects in the top 10. The name missing, Joris Nieuwhuis. Would have expected him in the top 10. But it can't be a party every week. So we'll see tomorrow already in Antwerp. And else he secured himself of a top 50 spot. So he will be in the top 50 for Dublin. And Valdisol, he can start those races. Van der Poel 13th, already mentioned him. Final note on him. I thought it was pretty shocking that he was already in the top 50 of the UCI rankings after Hulst won World Cup win and the second place, which is all the points he gathered, second in Dendermonde last year, and the win in Hulst. 
to me it's pretty shocking that two of those results are already enough to get you in the top 50 of the UCI rankings. Maybe it's something that should be reconsidered to balance the playing field because the World Cup is pretty overpowered in terms of points. It makes it so difficult to actually get into that top 50 and get automatic qualification for the World Cups. I can understand Flanders Classics want to have the World Cup be important and have that also have its effect on the rankings that everybody should do the World Cup for the points but it makes it pretty difficult for riders to break into that top 50 and secure themselves of a starting spot. On the other hand you could argue it's a bit of a non-issue from the pool and Nieuwenhuis are the exceptions and if you are from a smaller country and looking to get points for top 50 you would probably get a wild card from your national federation anyway. Let's go and talk about the women's race then. Kata Blanca Vars had the fastest start in the women's race, but she was quickly overtaken by Shirin van Anrooy, who was doing her first double weekend of the season. Van Anrooy opened the gap. She was eventually called again, and that meant that we went to a situation with four leaders, Van Anrooy, Blanca Vars, Denise Betsema and Inge van der Heide. Somebody who was not in that front group was Annick van Alphen. She was in the second group together with super prestige leader Seindo Carmen Alvarado. At the front of the race, Fasch was attacking, Van Anrooy was attacking and Betsma was sitting in. Fasch and Van Anrooy both blew up and dropped back. That was for the first time that we saw Annick van Alphen storming through the field. She overtook her 777 teammate Inge van der Heide. Then she overtook Blanca Vars, she overtook Sherin van Androoy and found herself in second. Denise Betsema at that point was leading the race but got a puncture. A rear puncture meant that Annick van Alphen out of nowhere was leading the race purely based on a faster pace than the other riders. Betsema however was not done that quickly. Betsema won the win today and she tried everything she could. She closed that gap on van Alphen pretty quickly and the duo went into the final lap together. Betsema tried to attack at some point, she sat in on Van Alphen on the hills, tried to attack after that and she looked to crack Van Alphen, but Van Alphen had one weapon that Betsema didn't have, the barriers. Annick Van Alphen bunny up the barriers, put a sprint after that, closed the two second gap Betsema had and absolutely sent it down the inside towards the sand pit. Betsema did not see that coming, Van Alphen led through the sand, remounted first, and it went down to a sprint. In the sprint, Annick van Alphen took the win just ahead of Denise Betsema. Behind that, Sherin van Androoy claimed third. I have to say that this win by Annick van Alphen completely took me by surprise. I at no point saw it coming that Annick van Alphen would be winning a classified cross. Sure, the potential has been there. Like, well, not no, I would not even say the potential to win a classified cross has been there. We know that two seasons ago, yes, she claimed a silver medal at the Under-23 World Championships in Ostend. But to me, that had always seemed like a lucky shot. She was a rider that was always at the back ends of the top 10, consistent, but not a winner. We have saw, of course saw that she had a very good race in Overijse. So, I tend to say the climbing courses suit her. And I stand by that because in... 2020 she already got uh, I think a sixth place on the Koppenberg from the top of my head so these type of things show that a course like Bohm should suit her but to then take on Vash 
Okay, Fosh came from a training camp in the United States with SD Works. Maybe she wasn't the freshest and a big roadblock is not the ideal prep. Okay, but Van Androoy has been very good and then you could still say, well, Van Androoy, she crashed in the pre-ride of Hulst and was actually thinking about not starting the race. But she still ended third in that race. Van Androoy is on good form. Betsema today, she almost put in the flawless race. I mean, she was unlucky with that puncture. Sure, we have to factor that in. Betsma maybe would have won without the puncture. But even a second place would have been a huge prize to me because she only won the Rapercross Logre, which was an Atheos cross in 2020. That's the only televised cross she won. And for the rest, to me, there was nothing that really indicated such a result as this. Last season, it was a bit out and about, and it was more of the same, like back-end top 10, top 15s. And then, sure, at the end of the season, after the World Championships, which she didn't race, she gets a podium in Maldegem, gets a couple of top fives, but those races are not really factors. Like, most riders that race there don't race them with the intention of, well, I need to be good. Tiredness is kicking in, and it gives the opportunity to riders to surprise. But today, just fair and square, she deserved that win. Yeah, she deserved that win. Despite the puncture of Betsema, she deserved it for the way she finished it off. And key to her win was, besides her climbing ability, which was good today, was her technique. There was this one muddy part of the course, which was a bit downhill. Remember, in the penultimate lap, she's taking an alternative line. She's cutting in wide, avoiding the deep rut. Really extreme looking for the green, looking for the grass. She was... I think the only one I saw it doing at least, she was taking alternative lines and they worked perfect for her. In the final lap, okay, maybe she didn't, but then another technical skill she had, the barriers. It really made a difference for her. If she was running that barriers, Betsma would have won. Now she comes from behind and I'm not even going to say it's a big mistake by Betsma that she puts the door open for Van Alphen to dive in before the sandpit. It's maybe a bit naive by Betsema, but Betsema thought, oh, okay, I have a gap, I can go. But Van Alphen gave it her everything and really surprised Betsema. And sure, if Betsema would have had a bit more awareness, she might have looked back, but I don't really blame her for it because Van Alphen came from so far back. Yeah, it's hard. The only mistake Betsema really made in that final lap, because she sat in, she let Van Alphen do the work, was start the sprint in a too big gear. I think she was two gears too big. Like when she starts accelerating out of that final corner, it takes so much time for her to get her cadence up. And she comes close to Van Alphen, but then falls short. She just runs out of road to pass her. If she's in two smaller gears, she has a bit more punch and can try to outsprint Van Alphen. It's a short sprint, so you need that punch. Now it didn't work out. Minor mistake by Betsema. Potentially big results, but... Van Alphen, Betsema, they made a really good race for it, and Betsema always kept fighting. It takes quite the mentality to after a puncture, which she had, and being knocked from the race lead to third place, it takes quite the mental state to repack yourself, to tell yourself, okay, I'm going to keep going, and that's what Betsema did. So, yeah, well, it's maybe not the result she'd hoped for, and... Last week we were kind of joking about her and the overall classification of the X2O trophy, but today she was also talking about the classification and today she had all right to do so because she had a very good day. She 
took five points on Alvarado today, and they were equal on points before. Five points for the Super Prestige, it's huge. Alvarado had an off day, she was seventh in the end, and that's something you cannot permit yourself in the Super Prestige. I mean, there's four races left, she needs to take five points, which, which means at some point she will need to get a rider between herself and Betsema. Betsema now has it in her own hands. If she finishes behind Alvarado every single race, she wins the Super Prestige. It's a very good day for her, so it's something that she can still get some sort of satisfied feeling from. And it fits to what we said in the preview podcast for Antwerp. Yes, Betsema's results in the World Cups have been out and about, but in the non-World Cup races, she's doing fine. Today, more proof of that. Now let's hope that she can carry that on to tomorrow. Then, third and fourth place, Van Androoy and Blanca Vars. I already went over them. I think especially Van Androoy was kind of disappointing. I had expected a bit more. Van Androoy said that in the beginning of the race she was attacking and blew up a bit. Same with Blanca Vars. I do agree with that assessment to an extent. Van Androoy did blow up. Blanca Vars did also blow up. But I also think they simply weren't a match today for Van Alfa and Betsema. The final lap, especially Van Androoy, who was still at like 12-ish, 15-ish seconds going into the final lap, knew that the win wasn't there, so she just rolled in, lost 15 more seconds in that final lap. That's fine, but yeah, it's it's still... I thought that Van Androoy would have been in a bit of a better form, but who knows what she can do tomorrow. I mean, maybe she got surprised that she had such a good start, got ahead of herself, and if you go over your maximum and really need to find your second breath then it's going to be very tough to get the going again so hard hopefully a lesson learned for her that she needs to pace herself better if she thinks that that's really the issue she probably knows that better than than i do because she has already seen her watch and her heart rate throughout the race so she probably knew oh i went too deep i paid the price so well still I would have expected more, but it is what it is, and for Vash, yeah, I already said it. She came back from the training camp of SD Works in the United States, so jet lag, training on the road, big block. It's not the ideal prep for a race like Bohm, not for a cyclocross race in general, so I'm not looking into that too much. Let's look at the rest of the top 10. Full Dutch podium with Van Alphen, Betsman van Androoy, 4th place for Blanca Vash ahead of Inge van der Heide. Anna Kay in 6th ahead of Seyndor Carmen Alvarado. Then 8th place for Alicia Frank ahead of Amandi Fukune and Manon Bakker. I would like to point out Seyndor Carmen Alvarado first. 7th, disappointing. Won the two previous Super Prestige races. Was looking for 3 in a row. Was looking to consolidate her lead because she was only equal in points with Betsema before the race. Then had a bad day. I think that she said in the pre-race interview that she wasn't too happy with the changes made to the course either. And probably these deep banks that they had were not the best course for Alvarado. Still, 7th is way below what she's capable of. I think today was an off day in combination with the course. Maybe a bit of a mental disappointment as well when she arrived and saw a different course than what she had expected based on previous years. That might be the issue for her. Off day. Things happen, but it will be tough for her to win the Super Prestige now. But then again, not impossible, because if you are able to place two or three riders between yourself and Betsema, it could be possible to fight back. Let's hope for an interesting battle between those two in the remainder of the season. Two more riders I would like to highlight are Anna Kay and Alicia Frank. 
A sixth place for Anna K is promising. Sure, not the deepest field, but things seem to be improving on her end. Every week we see a couple of steps made. Last week we're already noticing some positive things about her in the XTO Trophy of Kortrijk. Now another step up, sixth. Not that far behind her teammate Inger van der Heide, who has gotten a couple of podiums this season. Things look uh, to be improving on her end. And the same goes for Alicia Frank. She made the mid-season transfer from Proximus to the Kozer Bonnache. And we don't really know why she left Proximus that rapidly, because she joined on the 1st of November. She was then not selected for the Belgian Championships. She signed an NTA with her team and Belgian cycling about why, so we don't know why, but definitely very mysterious. Bit of mystery around Frank, but she made that move today. In 8th place, she was hit hard by COVID, started her season super late due to that, only an Ardoy needed time to rebuild. She's very open about that on her Twitter and Instagram, that that COVID really hit her hard. Kind of similar to what we heard from Magali Rochette, who is now racing in France. So, yeah, also promising to see things improve on her side, and Fukunem, Bakker in the top 10 are also two nice names to see there. I would like to point out that Paulin Ferrand Prevost raced 12th place, not the best result. I would have expected the top 10 today based on her Koppenberg performance. But then again, she's only just getting started into cross again after a rest break. She's targeting the Worlds in Hogeheide. So I imagine this is just getting some racing under the belt, trying to score a few points and then rebuild towards Hogeheide. World title will be tough, but never say never with Provo. Marion Norbert Ribeiro in 13th, also a somewhat disappointing result by her. She has been capable of better this season so far, but this course might just be too much climbing for her. And it could also always be worse because the Belgian champion, Sanne Kant, had a DNF today. And the same goes for Lucinda Brandt. We don't know the reasons for both. For Brandt, we just know she had a bad start, was outside of the top 10, and then withdrew the story about her having an infection in her hand and that she might need to take some rest and skip. She's skipping Dublin, that was for sure. I think many riders of Boas Trek are skipping Dublin because they will go on a training camp. Van Haar mentioned the training camp, and as the decision to make Dublin was already made, I assume that Boas Trek will be skipping Dublin. They were supposed to be back for Valdisol, but with Brandt, potentially skipping Valdisol, I'm not too confident anymore. Brandt said that she might skip Valdisol as well to take some rest and regroup and that she's taking some uh, medicines that are influencing herself, antibiotica. I'm sorry, I don't exactly know the English word. I think antibiotics is the English word. So Brandt's taking those, those influence your form and that's definitely maybe the cause for today's DNF. So that's potentially it, but Bala's track, not ideal at the moment. Pim Bronhaar, who I haven't mentioned yet, didn't race the men's race because he has been sick as well and is taking some time to rest. Also no Dublin for him, which then again has to do with the training camp. They are going to Mallorca. Let's take a look at some racing in the rest of Europe. There was racing in Czech Republic, the Toy 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 Cup in Kolin. Simon Vanicek won the men's race ahead of Marek Konva and Adam Tupalik. The women's race was won by a junior woman, Vanda Dlaskova. Some of the listeners might know that she is the daughter of Petr Delask. Teresa Vanikova ended second and Nikola Bajerova completed the podium in third. 
the third round of the no the fifth round of the Coupe de France, which was the final weekend of racing, the third weekend of racing in Troy. Germain Kuipers took the win ahead of Clément Horny and Timon Ruek. The women's race was won by Laurine Durafou ahead of Perrine Clozel and Magali Rochette. That will complete it then for this episode of the Cyclocross Social Podcast. A very different one with just me doing the talking. I hope it was not too terrible. So we will be back tomorrow with an episode about the World Cup in Antwerp. And then I will definitely be joined with Issam. And if that won't be tomorrow, the reason is that Islam is still sick and we will postpone the recording to Monday. But I definitely won't annoy you guys with a half an hour long rant about the two races, monologues, not really my type of thing. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed and we will be back tomorrow with the World Cup in Antwerp. See you guys then. Goodbye.